0: Good afternoon, everyone. This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will now come to order. Uh, I'm uh, uh, pinch-hitting this hearing, but glad to be joined by the ranking member, Senator Rounds. Um, Today we have a confirmation hearing doubleheader. So uh, as Ernie Banks said, let's play two. The committee is going to be considering six nominations split on two panels. First up, we have Ambassador Ruben Brigadier to be Ambassador to South Africa, Ambassador Michael Battle to be the ambassador to Tanzania, and Ms. Meg Whitman to be the ambassador to Kenya. Uh, And so um, seeing that we have two of our colleagues, um, we'll postpone our opening statements and let you guys get on your way to votes and other meetings uh, so that you can introduce two of our witnesses. So why don't I first go to Senator Romney and then to Senator Ossoff to make introductions. We'll make opening statements and then we'll turn it over to our panel. So Senator Romney. Thank you,
1: Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Rounds. Uh, It is my honor today to introduce Meg Whitman to the committee and offer my full support for her nomination to serve as our nation's next ambassador to Kenya. I've known Meg for more than 40 years. We first met at Bain & Company early in her career. Throughout these past four decades, I've watched Meg build an extraordinary career. As president and CEO of Hewlett-Packard, beginning in 2011, Meg worked to rebuild the legendary American technology company after it fell behind in a changing world. As a result of her efforts, Hewlett-Packard companies continue to thrive today. From 1998 to 2008, Meg was president and CEO of eBay, a company that helped create e-commerce as we know it. When Meg arrived at eBay, it was a small company with 30 employees and $4 million in revenues. When she left 10 years later, eBay had 15,000 employees and $8 billion in revenue. Many of the employees hired and mentored by Meg at eBay went on to lead other great technology companies. Meg graduated from Princeton University in 1977 and Harvard Business School in 1979. While that may not seem like a long time ago for some of us, it was a different era. At a time when women were just beginning to break through many glass ceilings, Meg charted her own path, consistently delivering results, working hard, and expanding her wealth of knowledge. There's little doubt that Meg has had great success, but just as important, she has earned a reputation for ethical, principled behavior. She listens to the views of others and is eager to make her community, our country, and the world a better place. Meg has also been active for many years in philanthropic causes centered on education and the environment. Meg and her husband, Dr. Cliff Harsh, who is also here, have been devoted to one another for more than 40 years. While they've helped one another building fulfilling careers, they've also created a terrific family together, which is the most important. Meg will tell you that her greatest accomplishment in life has been to raise two wonderful sons, We all agree that America currently faces enormous challenges across the globe. We also agree that we need our best and brightest to represent America's ideals and interests. Meg Whitman is expertly suited to take on the hard work of organizing our mission in Kenya and working closely and cooperatively with our Kenyan partners. The United States and the global community desire a prosperous, advancing Africa and Kenya must play a pivotal role in stabilizing and sustaining the region. America needs Meg Whitman's character, judgment, and sheer determination deployed to Kenya as soon as possible. I urge this committee and my Senate colleagues to support Meg Whitman's swift confirmation. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
2: Thank you, Senator Romney. Senator Rossoff. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ranking Member Rounds, it's an honor to join you today to introduce and recommend for confirmation an outstanding diplomat, whom I'm proud to call a constituent from my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, Ambassador Michael Battle. Ambassador Battle has led an extraordinary career committed to education and public service. He served for 20 years as a chaplain in the United States Army Reserve, retiring with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in 1997. During the Obama administration, Ambassador Battle served as U.S. Ambassador to the African Union in Ethiopia. He also served that administration as U.S. representative to the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, and as a senior advisor to the State Department's Bureau of African Affairs. In addition to his government service, Ambassador Battle has served in a variety of leadership roles in higher education and the faith community, including Executive Vice President of the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, President of the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta, Vice President at Chicago State University, Associate Vice President at Virginia State University, and university chaplain at Hampton University. Ambassador Battle has been a community leader in Atlanta for years, serving as chair of the Robert W. Woodruff Library of the Atlanta University Center, as a member of the UNCF Institutional Board of Directors, the Atlanta Rotary Club, 100 Black Men of Atlanta, and the Historically Black Colleges and Universities Congressional Forum Steering Committee. The ambassador chaired Atlanta Mayor Shirley Franklin's Advisory Committee for Sustainable Atlanta, served in a variety of roles at the Atlanta Regional Council of Churches, Atlanta Urban League, and the Atlanta Fulton Family Connection, and was a member of the 2008 Class of Leadership Atlanta. He holds a lifetime membership of the NAACP and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. It is an honor, Mr. Chairman and ranking member, to be here alongside Ambassador Battle as he prepares for this pivotal assignment in Tanzania. We need his skilled representation in East Africa, I know he will do this job with honor and effectively. I thank the committee for consideration of his nomination and humbly urge his swift confirmation. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you very much, Senator uh, Senator Ossoff. And to supplement uh,
3: that introduction, uh, Senator Portman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It has to be supplemented because although he's a proud son of Atlanta, he's also a proud son of Cincinnati. So we're going to claim a little of him also. Uh, we're also going to take uh, some credit for Meg Whitman's uh, connection to Cincinnati uh, uh, with regard to our soccer team and, and the great Procter & Gamble company, and I'm delighted that you're stepping up, as I've told you, uh, to represent us in Kenya at a critical time. In terms of uh, professor, uh, ambassador, I don't know how many titles you have, uh, but uh, as you will see in his uh, confirmation today, uh, Michael is an extraordinary guy. And as Senator Ossoff has already told us, he has an amazing background. Uh, his wife, Linda Ann Battle, is also uh, uh, deserving of a lot of credit for his success in life. He's, he's done a lot. He was ambassador to the African Union. He was permanent representative to the UN Economic Commission on Africa. And by the way, those two make you uh, so qualified to take on this role in Tanzania. He also served as a chaplain in the US Army Reserve, uh, Chaplain Corps. Uh, as was said, he was lieutenant colonel when, when he retired. He's been a professor of religious studies and philosophy at a number of schools, uh, Hampton uh, and Virginia State Universities, I think at Duke as well, as I recall. Graduated from Duke. Graduated from Duke. Okay. Well, that's that's not professorial, but it's still impressive. Um, And he is a guy who uh, I saw in service because he was at the Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati. This is a national group uh, that um, many of us here in the Congress have supported over time, and uh, we're delighted to have it. It's a world-class cultural learning center, really a gem for Cincinnati. And Ambassador Battle was the executive vice president and really helped redirect them at a time when they needed uh, some direction. So I worked with him, got to see him in action, saw how he worked on the management side, uh, but also externally with the community. It was very impressive and um, knows how to teach the story of our history, the good and the bad, including the history of cooperation with our railroad freedom center and the, and the search for freedom. So, I am delighted that he is going to bring that same level of enthusiasm, passion, and drive to his role as Ambassador to Tanzania, uh, uh, and I hope we will all confirm him for that post. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Uh, Thank you very much, Senator Rounds. Thank you, Senator Ossoff, for joining us uh, today. Um, First let me just uh, ask uh, unanimous consent to enter into the record a statement from Chairman Menendez, that objection that will be entered into the record. Um, and let me just say a few opening words um, to our panel of nominees. You are all before us to represent the United States in three key posts in Africa. Uh, Ambassador brigitte South Africa has um, its economic and political challenges, but it remains a clear leader on the continent, a growing economy, a vibrant democracy. It's time for the U.S.-South Africa bilateral relationship to mature. Our partnership on health is well known and strong, but we can be closer economic and environmental partners, and we can work with South Africa better on regional security matters in a much more coordinated way. Ambassador Battle, Tanzania has begun to transition away from the late former president's isolationist policies and COVID denialism and towards improved ties with the United States. This moment, it's an opportunity. Well, the new president, uh, Samaya Hassan, has served as the country's first female president since last year, Tanzania still faces challenges in public health, governance, economic development. This is a time where the United States can and should step up. I look forward to hearing how you plan to work with the new government to encourage progress in all these areas. And finally, Ms. Whitman, Kenya is sub-Saharan Africa's third largest economy. It's a regional hub for transportation and finance. It's a partner for counterterrorism. It's a top tourism designation. You're going to be leading the largest embassy in Africa for the United States and playing host to U.S. forces that support uh, operations throughout the region. Uh, Very few more important diplomatic posts uh, in the world, I would argue. Uh, I look forward to discussing how this administration uh, and your uh, embassy will ensure that our personnel and interests remain Protected um, again. We thank you for being here today um, We are so deeply appreciative of your families for being willing to serve alongside you and with that, let me turn to the ranking member Senator rounds for opening remarks
4: Thank you. Mr. Chairman uh, good afternoon to all of you I'd like to thank all of you for your service to our country and for your willingness to serve as ambassadors to South Africa Tanzania and Kenya all three of these African countries offer incredible opportunity, but also face imposing challenges All three are critical to U.S. national interests on the continent. I look forward to hearing how you will lead our diplomatic missions to advance U.S. interests and priorities there. Ambassador Brigadier, South Africa is an important partner that the United States must do more to engage at the highest levels. Getting a confirmed ambassador to Pretoria is critical. Your prior experience serving as U.S. ambassador to the Africa Union and as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Southern Africa, will give you much to draw on as U.S. Ambassador to South Africa if confirmed. Your past military, diplomatic, and academic experience is impressive, and I look forward to hearing what your view as the most important items for you to focus on if confirmed. However, it will not surprise you that I'm also interested in hearing you address your own publicly stated views on those who worked for former President Trump, who you called the first Nazi in chief. I will give you an opportunity to explain your comments. Ambassador Battle, in recent years, U.S. relations with Tanzania have been complicated by democratic decline, largely under uh, President uh, Magulafulli and his allies who were openly hostile toward U.S. business, U.S. implementing partners such as grant recipients, international efforts to stem DRC's Ebola outbreaks from spreading to other countries, and efforts to control the COVID-19 pandemic. While President Samia Hassan, who took over in March of 2021, has made some efforts to reform, these reforms are proving slow and difficult. If confirmed, I'm hopeful that you will draw on your previous experience as US ambassador to the African Union and UN Economic Commission for Africa to work with your Tanzanian counterparts on the continued needed reforms, as well as to engage on critical issues like global health commitments and counterterrorism, particularly given the extremist threat on both sides of the Tanzania-Mozambique border. Ms. Whitman? Kenya is one of the U.S.'s most important African allies. The need for continued strong partnership has only been made clearer in recent months as the U.S. has been engaged in a number of crises in East and the Horn of Africa alongside the Kenyans, including Sudan, Somalia, and Ethiopia. A strong U.S. relationship with Kenya is vital to supporting improved trade and investment, pursuing U.S. national security interests, and responding to the complex humanitarian and developmental needs of the broader region. There is no doubt we need a confirmed U.S. Ambassador to Kenya, and I'm pleased to have the opportunity to engage with you today. If confirmed, you would bring a wealth of executive experience to our embassy in Nairobi. I look forward to hearing about your priorities. Thank you all for being here today, and I look forward to your comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh,
0: Thank you very much, uh, Senator Rounds. We now turn to our nominees. We're asking you to make your uh, statements as concise as possible in the neighborhood of three minutes, and we will um, enter your full statements into the record. I think Senator Ossoff, Portman, um, and Romney did uh, a sufficient job at introducing Ms. Whitman and Ambassador Battle. Let me just add to the introduction from Senator Rounds. um, Ambassador Brigadier, who will begin this panel, um, is our nominee to South Africa Served as U.S. Ambassador to the African Union, twice as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. Uh, Most recently, he's been the Vice Chancellor and President at the University of the South uh, and Dean of the Washington, uh, George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. So, having filled out the introductions of our panel, we're going to turn to you, Ambassador Brigadier, then to Ambassador Battle, and finally to Ms. Whitman.
5: Thank you, Senator. Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member, distinguished members of the committee, good afternoon. It is my great honor to appear before you as the nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of South Africa. I'm joined here today by my wife, Dr. Lelay Selassie, our sons, Robel and Reda, and many family and friends who are watching these proceedings online. I'm grateful for the confidence that President Biden and Secretary Blinken have placed in me to assume leadership of this important post. Further, I am deeply humbled to be nominated to lead the same embassy that was once led by my late mentors, Ambassador Edward Perkins, Ambassador Bill Swing, and Ambassador Princeton Lyman, all of whom were legendary diplomats who brilliantly represented the United States in Pretoria during consequential moments in South African history. If confirmed, I will do my best to live up to the standards that they set for diplomatic excellence in building partnerships in South Africa while also advancing American interests. Nelson Mandela, South Africa's first post-apartheid president, once said, quote, when you speak to a man in your language, you speak to his head. But when you speak to a man in his language, you speak to his heart. The word Ubuntu is a South African concept that is translated as, quote, I am because we are. It is a call for the recognition of the common bonds that unite us as human beings and the understanding that our well-being is intimately entwined with each other. If confirmed, I will be committed to practicing Ubuntu diplomacy in developing and strengthening this vital bilateral relationship. The United States and South Africa are two of the world's great constitutional democracies. We are both international leaders on a range of topics of global importance. The relationship between our two countries should be one of close coordination, enduring comedy, and shared purpose. In practicing Ubuntu diplomacy, I will ensure that official US engagement with the government and people of South Africa is firmly rooted in the principles of common cause and mutual recognition. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today and for your consideration of my candidacy. I look forward to your questions.
0: Thank you. Ambassador Battle. Is your microphone on there? There we go, pull it close.
6: I'm honored to appear before you as nominee for Ambassador to the United Republic of Tanzania. I'm deeply appreciative of the confidence President Biden and Secretary Blinken have placed in me. My wife, Linda, and I look forward to returning to the African continent, especially Tanzania, if confirmed. Returning to diplomatic service is an honor for which I look forward to. As a retired Army Reserve officer and diplomat, I know the joy of service to our great nation. The United States has a long standing commitment to Tanzania's development as a stable, reliable, democratic partner capable of growing its economy sufficiently to support its own people while also becoming a market for U.S. exports and investments. Under President Hassan, Tanzania has started to reverse course from the democratic backsliding and isolationist policies of the previous administration. If confirmed, My goal will be to encourage the Tanzanian government to put into action commitments to democratic freedom and respect for human rights. If confirmed, my first priority will be to focus on people, both American and Tanzanian, ensuring the safety and security of embassy staff and Americans residing in and visiting Tanzania. Additionally, I will work with the Tanzanian government to further and strengthen uh, systems to prevent and prosecute any instance of human trafficking. I am committed to leveraging our foreign assistance to strengthening governance and transparency in health and improving the overall health of Tanzania. If confirmed, I will work toward expanding American business opportunities in Tanzania and improving the overall investment climate. If confirmed, I look forward to working closely with you and with other members of this committee to ensure US interests, policies, and assistance to Tanzania promote democracy, security, and sustained economic growth. And if confirmed, I will be the second person from my high school class to be US ambassador to Tanzania. I look forward to your questions.
0: Thank you very much. Ms. Whitman.
7: Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, Senator Risch, uh, Senator Murphy, Senator Rounds, and distinguished members of the committee. Thank
0: you.
7: Yeah, oh. mic. There we go, sorry. Uh, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and to answer your questions on my nomination to be the US ambassador to the Republic of Kenya. I also thank President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken for the opportunity to serve our country. First, let me introduce my husband of 42 years, Dr. Griff Harsh, who is here with me today. Griff is an academic neurosurgeon and he is eager to accompany me to Kenya, should I be confirmed. Griff and I are the parents of two adult sons and two toddler grandchildren. During my 40-year business career, I have been president and CEO of three multinational Fortune 100 companies, eBay, HP, and Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I've been trustee of The Nature Conservancy, one of the largest conservation organizations in the world, and I currently serve as chairman of Teach for America, which works to improve K through 12 education um, in underserved communities. My career has honed my leadership and communication skills. I've worked with heads of state, senior business leaders, and government regulators. I'm well versed in strategy formulation, negotiation, small business development, global trade, and of course, technology. I'm adept at leading large organizations by fostering shared values, purpose, and commitment to excellence. I've conducted business in numerous African countries, and in 2018, I visited Kenya with the Nature Conservancy. I'm excited about the possibility of serving as our ambassador to Kenya, a country of strategic importance to the United States. Should I be confirmed, I will continue the current US focus on supporting democracy and democratic institutions, particularly in advance of the elections in August. We want and need Kenya to remain a strong, reliable, and capable partner of the United States in addressing common challenges in East Africa and beyond. A stable democratic society and economic prosperity are mutually reinforcing. Kenya has a diverse and dynamic economy with strong potential for future growth. It faces many challenges, but the United States can be helpful by promoting legislative and judicial reform, anti-corruption measures, and collaboration among Kenyan and American businesses. Kenya is well-positioned to be an Africa leader in information, communication, and technology and mobile banking. Working with Kenya to help build the country's Silicon Savannah, will be a big part of my mission and an opportunity that I hope numerous U.S. companies will embrace. The United States is also the largest financial contributor to Kenya's healthcare system. If confirmed, I intend to work closely with the Kenyan government, public and private health institutions to ensure the efficiency of U.S. assistance in responding to the COVID epidemic and other infectious diseases. Kenya is also a significant contributor to regional peace and security, especially through its contribution of troops to the African Union transition mission in Somalia. If confirmed, I will work closely with Kenya to address instability and combat terrorism in the Horn of Africa. Our bilateral defense cooperation with Kenya, a partnership of over 60 years, is strong, and I look forward to supporting the Kenyan government on defense matters and advancing America's interest in the region. Thank you for considering my nomination. I look forward to working constructively and respectfully with our partners in Kenya and East Africa to achieve our shared goals. Serving the United States in this role would be a great privilege. Thank you. Uh, Thank you
0: to all of our nominees just for your awareness. Uh, And guest awareness. We are in the middle of votes in the Senate floor. We're going to keep this hearing open, but it's going to mean that members will be in and out. Um, I'll ask one question of each of the three of you um, and then move on because we've got uh, many colleagues here who are interested in your service. Um, Ambassador Brigadier, let me ask you about um, the decision by South Africa to abstain from uh, the votes on uh, Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine. This was disappointing, to say the least. Uh, in part because South Africa has been this um, shining example of how countries can preserve and return to constitutional democracy. What uh, forms of leverage should the United States be using towards uh, trying to uh, um, uh, bring out greater cooperation from South Africa in denouncing the Russian invasion of Ukraine? And will this be a priority for you if you're confirmed?
5: Yes, Senator, thank you very much for the question. I I agree with you. The South African vote to abstain uh, from the UN General Assembly uh, resolution about Russia's invasion of Ukraine was quite disappointing. It was one of the most popular General Assembly resolutions ever voted on in the United Nations. Uh, It is unfortunate that the Republic of South Africa officially uh, chose to abstain from this vote. I would say the following since then. First, there was great debate inside South Africa uh, once that vote was, uh, was taken, many people in South African civil society uh, believe strongly that their government should be more on record in terms of supporting the people of Ukraine. Secondly, this is an issue that has been raised at the highest levels of our respective governments. Uh, President Ramaphosa and President Biden have spoken about it, as have Secretary Blinken and Foreign Minister Pandora. Uh We have a clear understanding, clearer understanding of where the South Africans were coming from with regard to that vote. And should I be confirmed, I will continue to engage the government of South Africa, uh, recognizing their um, longstanding tradition of mediation, uh, but also making the case that, quite frankly, the people of Ukraine want the same thing that the people of South Africa wanted during their own fight for apartheid, their own fight for freedom. And making that common case, hopefully, um, will uh, help to continue to encourage the government of South Africa to be supportive of the people of Ukraine in this existential fight. Thank you, Senator.
0: Ambassador Battle, you referenced this in your opening comments, but we obviously have uh, an opening right now. Um, The new president has reversed some of the really damaging backsliding away from um, democratic norms, uh, opening up some new licenses for media outlets, getting rid of some of these bogus terrorist charges. Um, I know you're not there yet, but you've been a watcher uh, of the country for a long time. What's your assessment of uh, the pace and sincerity of these reforms, and what's the ways in which the United States can be impactful to make sure they continue along that path?
6: Uh, question. I have no hesitancy whatsoever with celebrating the sincerity. The pace, however, is something that is troubling. And I understand part of the complication that President Hassan has is that she had served as vice president under President McAfee. And there was some Tensions in that relationship that had to be overcome. Fortunately, I have good relationships with people in Tanzania, in particular the foreign minister, who is very much receptive to trying to accelerate accelerate the process of moving closer to being an inclusive democratic society in Tanzania. I will work closely not only with the president and the foreign minister and others in Tanzania, I will work with civil society uh, and with the non-governmental organizations to make sure that Tanzania codifies its commitment It's one thing to verbalize a commitment to democratic principles. It's another thing to exemplify that by codifying it in uh, legislation, I will work to strongly encourage the codification of the efforts toward democratic principles, freedom of speech, openness, and engagement.
0: Um, Thank you. Uh, Finally, Ms. Whitman, there's a yin and a yang to our counterterrorism partnership in Africa, frankly, all over the world. Um, Obviously, we do a lot of good um, through those partnerships. Um, We um, go after, find, and destroy a lot of folks that are out to seek, find, and destroy us. Um, But often, um, the funding we supply to these um, national police forces uh, and militaries ends up being used in abuse. Um, and there have been um, a variety of criticisms inside Kenya that um, the security forces there have engaged in abusive practices, and there are calls on the United States and partner governments for greater transparency in our assistance. Um, Any comments on this subject from you would be welcome, but at the very least, I just wanted to get your commitment to this committee that you are going to consult with civil society groups, human rights organizations to ensure that our counterterrorism efforts in Kenya are consistent with U.S. and international human
7: rights law? Yes, well, thank you for that question. Um, you know, We should all be concerned about the law enforcement abuses that have been reported um, by the government to by the United States to the government of Kenya. And um, I can confirm that if um, I am confirmed for this job, I will um, very much take this seriously and um, make sure that, that the Leahy law is um, you know, uniquely followed and that we can um, you know, make sure that, uh, that our funds are not being um, used for law enforcement abuses or, frankly, any other human rights violations.
0: Great. Thank you all for um, your willingness to serve. Senator Rounds.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, let me begin. At, 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 at Ambassador Brigadier, In an August of 2017 opinion article for Foreign Policy magazine in the wake of Charlottesville, you said that former President Trump was, and I quote, America's first Nazi in chief, end of quote. You further stated that everyone who worked for President Trump had three choices, condemn him, resign, or continue to serve Trump and explain to their children why they did so. A couple of years later, you apologized for using this very harsh language. Setting President Trump aside, what is your view on those who worked for President Trump that neither condemned him nor resigned? You may very well have some of these people working for you in South Africa.
5: Senator, thank you very much for the question. Let me begin by reiterating what I said several years ago and that is to apologize. I should not have used that language towards former President Trump. It was beneath the dignity of the office and beneath my own long established standards for dignity and decency. Having said that, I appreciate the opportunity to address the piece. There are many things about President Trump's presidency, as with every other presidency, about which reasonable people can reasonably disagree. In my judgment, President Trump's remarks about Charlottesville is not amongst them. President Trump said that there were, quote, very fine people on both sides. One of those sides was comprised by neo-Nazis and white supremacists who planned, organized, and executed a violent and indeed murderous riot through the campus that Thomas Jefferson built. Senator, when I named those people in uh, in that piece, sometimes it's hard to fully understand or appreciate the moral significance of a historical moment when you're in it. Every person that I named in that piece were people, Republicans, with whom I personally worked, whom I personally admired, I've personally had an opportunity to speak with, or who had been on record repeatedly in terms of condemning uh, racism and racial hatred in our country. And so the purpose of that piece was to call them to the significance of that moral moment and to ask them to please, please speak out against this, against these violent neo Nazis that were chanting, Jews will not replace us you will not replace us. Senator, I believe that people of goodwill, regardless of their political affiliation, can all rise to condemn violent racism in our country. Indeed, we all must do so, because the danger of not doing so is that this violent hatred will metastasize, as we saw just last week, when a gunman, 18 years old, motivated by his own writings, by replacement theory, the same theory that was literally being stated by the people who marched through Charlottesville, drove 300 miles to a black grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and mowed down 10 people just because they were black. Grandmothers, pensioners, brave former police officers. And we must all speak out against this, and there can be no equivocation about it, particularly from the highest office in the land. That said, I apologize for the nature of my harsh language, and I regret
4: doing so. But my question really is, and I appreciate your comments, but my question is, the people that you will be working with, how do you approach them?
5: Senator, I have a long record of working across the aisle with members of Republican administrations. I have worked myself in a Republican administration during President George Bush's administration. As I said, I have no issue with people who voted for President Trump, who supported the breadth of his his policies.
4: Thank you. That that was my question, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Let me ask one more question. Uh, And and, and in this one, I'm going to go to Ambassador Battle. Can you describe the situation in southern uh, Tanzania and whether the government is collaborating with Mozambique to counter violent extremists in the border area? And also, what can the United States do to support Tanzania's battle against extremist groups in the region?
6: It is very clear that many of the persons in northern Mozambique who are participating in the activity which is terroristic in nature, are persons who have migrated from Tanzania. One of the things that I will strive to do is, A, to get the government to acknowledge the problem. Uh, for a long period of time, Tanzania has not acknowledged that the problem is not only Mozambican, but the problem is Tanzanian. And I will try to get Tanzania to use its role as the seat of the EAC to work collaboratively with SADC countries, because Tanzania is both a part of SADC and the EAC, to try and get the SADC side with Mozambique and Tanzania with membership in both of those regional organizations to collaborate with the U.S. and with other partners who are determined to root out terrorism wherever it is found and to do so very, very strongly. I had the opportunity to work very closely with the first two commanders of AFRICOM, and I advise both of them, and I work for a short period of time with the third commander, of AFRICOM, that there is a critically important role that we can play in strengthening African militaries to stand up against terrorism and to do so boldly. But first, the government has to acknowledge that the problem exists. And that's what I will do diplomatically on the political side to get the government to acknowledge that the problem exists and to let us assist in the process of resolution of the problem.
4: Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. My time has expired. On behalf of the chairman, Senator Kane.
6: Thank you, Senator
8: Rounds, and congratulations to all the uh, nominees. I think you're all very qualified for your positions and intend to support you. Uh, Ms. Whitman, I'm really worried about hunger in, in Africa, including Kenya. 20 million people across the Horn of Africa could go hungry this year. As the region confronts the worst drought in 40 years, soaring food prices, driven by the conflict in Ukraine, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Russia and Ukraine supply about 90% of the wheat in East Africa, and that price of that that staple has gone up by 20% already. Prices for cooking oil, much of which is provided by either Russia or Ukraine, have also doubled. Here's what troubles me in addition to those facts. A recent report by the humanitarian NGOs Oxfam and Save the Children says that the US collected 93 million, 93 million with an M to help with hunger crisis in East Africa and compared to $16 billion raised by the international community in one month after Russia launched a war against Ukraine. I'm all for the 16 billion and more, but I'm, I'm worried that the uh, generosity of the world has not yet um, appropriately focused on the issues in Africa. With World Hunger Day this Saturday, and in kind of an eerie way, this is also the celebration of the centennial of the Holodomor, the the forced famine that Joseph Stalin perpetrated on Ukrainians during 1932 and 1933. I'm introducing a resolution with colleagues to commemorate World Hunger Day and also remind people that famines are not just naturally occurring phenomena; they can also be politically motivated weapons of genocide. What, what might we do? Um, should you be confirmed, what would you commit to doing to try to help focus attention and hopefully uh, generate support in this country, this body, for um, more resources to combat hunger and famine in Kenya and in the Horn of Africa?
7: Well, thank you very much for that question, Senator Kane. It's a big concern to me. And even between the time I was nominated in December and today, the situation has become far worse. Kenyan, in particular, is in its fourth big drought. Um, In January, there were 2.5 million people starving in Africa. Today, there's 3.5 million. And as you correctly point out, the cost of imported wheat, grain, crop production is down by 70%. And 25% of children in Kenya are, star- are stunted by lack of mm. nutrition. So this has risen in my priority list of things that I would like to accomplish if I'm confirmed to be ambassador. Um, the U.S. aid over time has cushioned this um, terrible humanitarian crisis, um, but it is not enough. We've given $34 million since July of 2021. And I think what we need to do is rally the world around this impending crisis. And so if confirmed, I will deeply understand what we have done in Kenya, what other um, countries have done, what NGOs in Kenya have done, and try to see what is actually required to alleviate this concern, not only in Kenya, but in the Horn of Africa, and, and then decide what is the best course ahead to um, try to alleviate this humanitarian disaster.
8: Ms. Whitman, thank you very much for that answer. I want to ask Ambassador Brigitte a question about South Africa. Um, this week, the German Chancellor, um, Olaf Scholz, started a three-nation visit to Africa, including South Africa, focusing on gas exploration projects and the wider geopolitical ability of African nations possibly to help Europe wean itself away from overdependence on Russian energy. Can you give us just a snapshot assessment of South Africa's ability or willingness to potentially help meet European energy
5: needs. Thanks, Senator. I I certainly wouldn't want to speak for the government of South Africa, but I I suspect that South Africa has its own profound energy challenges, as we know. Uh, It is the largest greenhouse emitter on the continent. Uh, principally based on coal. They are themselves trying very hard to move away from a coal-based electrical uh, grid. They have fantastic potential in uh, the generation of clean energy, principally uh, 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 hydro and, and wind energy. Uh, but in my judgment, um, their ability to help Europe move, uh, convert from other sources of, uh, of, of, of gas um, is, uh, is
8: likely limited. Thank you for that, and um, my time is going to expire, and I don't want to uh, belabor, but I will just say to you, Ambassador Battle, that your service at Hampton and Virginia State has not gone unnoticed by this senator, so thank thank you, and congratulations on your
9: appointment. I yield back.
4: Thank you. you. On behalf of the chairman, Senator Coons. Um,
9: Thank you very much, um, Senator Rounds and uh, acting chairman Murphy. Uh, Welcome. Uh, It is uh, a blessing and a joy to have uh, all three of you. Uh, in front of this uh, committee and uh, willing to serve as ambassadors. And uh, you bring a great deal of um, skill, strength, significance, experience uh, to this task. And so um, thank you to your families uh, for your willingness to continue your service uh, in new context. I'll try and ask um, just three questions that, frankly, I think are relevant across uh, both the three countries to which I hope and pray you will soon be confirmed to serve as ambassador, um, but also uh, where there's larger regional issues. Um, Ambassador Brigadier, great to see you again. Uh, I have uh, greatly enjoyed uh, knowing you over a number of years. And when I first got to see you and your role as ambassador to the African Union, uh, I was so impressed uh, with your service and your abilities. And uh, as Senator Kane just said, your, your service as president of Sewanee is also one uh, well-regarded by many of us here. Um, democracy is an issue is a challenge in all three of the countries um, that you will hopefully be serving, representing the United States at. In South Africa in particular, as you said uh, eloquently in your opening. Uh, It's a country that we have a lot to learn from and where there's a lot of similarities and differences, but it's also a regional uh, powerhouse in some ways. And uh, there are real issues in Lesotho, in Zimbabwe, in Mozambique. Um, How will you encourage uh, a stronger and deeper relationship between the United States and South Africa and encourage the South Africans to continue uh, to play a significant regional role not just in security, which is also a very legitimate concern, but in development and democracy?
5: Thank you very much, Senator, for, for the question. South Africa is indeed a regional leader, uh, indeed a continental leader on a wide variety of issues. It is my view that the nature of our relationship simply needs to be much closer. There are important historical reasons why that has been fraught over time. Uh, not the least of which is uh, long memories uh, amongst the leadership of the government of South Africa and the African National Congress in particular about uh, U.S. uh, policy towards apartheid South Africa. But the future is forward. And we must continue to work to build this relationship. I'm very pleased that there have been a series of senior-level engagements just within the last four months of our government, uh, both uh, visits and phone calls, and that's a pace that needs to continue uh, over time. With regard to and continuing to encourage the government of South Africa to be engaged in uh, regional issues beyond security, but also, frankly, on matters of democracy and human rights and economic security, I will absolutely use the platform of the U.S. Embassy at every opportunity to continue to engage uh, the government of South Africa and the people of South Africa to be forward-leading and supportive of issues that are in our mutual interest.
9: Thank you. Uh, Ambassador Battle, um, we have a a significant moment, uh, a transition. Um, The presidency um, of President Magafuli was a moment of great tension and increased distance with the United States. We now have an opening and an opportunity. Um, How will you best help um, strengthen and sustain a a positive-looking bilateral relationship between the United States and Uh, the republic of Tanzania.
6: Fortunately both for Tanzania and for the U.S. there's a great desire for a cooperative relationship. When we look at the fact that the president just uh, a few months ago had a visit here to the U.S. and spent significant time with uh, our vice president and the fact that there are so many high level people in the U.S. government interested in working with Tanzania. Uh, The foreign minister of Tanzania was the previous Tanzanian ambassador to the U.S. and she has had for a very long time a deep-seated desire to see a closer relationship with the U.S. to return to the days when Tanzania and the U.S. work collaboratively on a number of issues. I will
9: accentuate those positive desires on both sides. Good, Nanda Salama, uh, good luck with President Hassan. Um, Keri Booney, great to see you. Uh, Ms. Whitman, uh, I am um, hopeful that we can get you confirmed swiftly given the significance of the elections in August. Um, Kenya is, as you referenced in your opening remarks, both a a vibrant hub of technology and innovation, uh, but also a very important uh, partner and ally in the region, a security partner. I'm pleased President Biden has renewed uh, our active partnership with regards to uh, terrorism in Somalia. Um, How would you as ambassador help um, the United States maintain a neutral posture with regards uh, to the election and the likely heated contest, uh, but also um, provide a, an engaged and persistent voice in support of a peaceful transfer of power and a free and fair election.
7: Well, thank you for the question, Senator Coons. And you're right, as you know, Kenya has had a history of violent elections that not, ha- not all of which have been accepted by the citizens of, of uh, Kenya as to their result. And there's a very important election coming up on August 9th with two very um, capable uh, competitors that uh, have very significant differences in policy and obviously are tapping into various loyalties in the country. Um, what, what I know that the embassy has done, under the charge d'affaires, Eric Needler, has, also, has engaged with both those candidates to underscore the importance, not only to the United States, but frankly to the region, because everyone in Africa is watching these elections, because Kenya is an island of democracy in a pretty tough neighborhood. And so that has been underscored. Um, as I understand it, the embassy and the US government has also been working with NGOs, with civil society, um, with uh, the IEBC who monitors the elections to make sure that these are free, fair, and well-accepted elections. Ultimately, it's up to the Kenyans to deliver these, um, uh, these elections in a free and fair way, in a way that, that is accepted by the people. I think we are on our, uh, they are on their way to doing that. Um, a number of staff just came back from Kenyan that reports that things are proceeding perhaps better than we had thought. But there's a bit of a ways between now and August 9th, and uh, I think we need to do everything we can to support those elections because everyone is watching.
9: That's encouraging. Thank you. In all three countries, in many other countries, it's urgent that we have an ambassador. So I look forward to your confirmations. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Sheen.
10: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and congratulations to each of you on your nominations, and thank you for your willingness to continue to serve the country. Um, I want to ask a question to each of you that requires a yes or no answer. The administration has rightly prioritized protecting, improving, and expanding access to sexual and reproductive health care as one of ten key priorities in the national strategy on gender equity and equality. And as we know across Africa, the unmet need for family planning is significant. Women and families struggle to have access to information and I would like to ask each of you if confirmed do you commit to working with USAID with our missions in each of your countries to ensure that uh, those programs are administered as they have been um, laid out in statute. Ms. Whitman? Yes. Ambassador Battle? Yes. Ambassador Bridgety? Thank you very much. We look forward to hearing updates on how those programs are going. Um, Ms. Whitman I would like to again you talked about the potential for the elections in Kenya to have an impact on how the country operates one of those areas that may offer some potential is for security cooperation and as we see the expansion of al shabaab throughout Kenya and the region it's obviously a huge challenge in a place where hopefully we can better engage. Can you talk a little bit about how, how we might look at the election as an opportunity to better cooperate on security?
7: Well, I think um, it, a, a well-run election by the Kenyans that are perceived to be free and fair and accepted by the populace actually improves Kenya's standing in the region. And Kenya has been a leader in the region in terms of um, you know, negotiating in Somalia as well as Ethiopia. Um, terrorism is a big, big challenge here. As you well know, al-Shabaab is the largest and best-financed al-Qaeda affiliate in the world. And they have said very explicitly they are after Americans in Kenya, in the Horn of Africa, as well as right here. And so our ability to help Kenya on the heels of a successful election, I think improves quite dramatically. And I do think the, our long-standing cooperation with the Kenyan Defense Force and what used to be called Amazon Um, is something that that we must continue. The Kenyans view this as an existential threat to uh, their prosperity, their democracy, and and their ability to move forward as a country. And I think the United States agrees with that, and we need to do everything we can to to be of assistance. Thank you very much, I
10: appreciate that. Ambassador Battle, um, as a number of people have referenced in the questioning, Tanzania now has its first woman president And the rights of women and girls, however, continue to remain in jeopardy. Gender-based discrimination and violence, child marriage, lack of access to family planning, as we've just discussed, are a few of the concerns. So can you talk about the opportunities that we have to better um, encourage the new president and the people of Tanzania to recognize how important it is to empower women and girls in the country.
6: It's also interesting to note that Tanzania has a woman defense minister, a woman foreign minister, and another, a number of other women uh, throughout the government. I think looking at Tanzania and looking at uh, the US as an example for what happens when women and girls are empowered, and looking at the statistics of nations all over the world where women and girls are empowered with education, free access to monetary support and ownership, the nation itself thrives. My goal would try to get Tanzania to see that it is in her vested and best interests to make sure that women and girls have equal opportunity and access to all of the benefits and beauty that Tanzania offers.
10: Thank you very much. The other thing we know is that, Countries that empower women tend to be more stable yes. um, and have a better opportunity to succeed as democracies. Absolutely. Ambassador Bridgety, one of the things that we have talked about in the Armed Services Committee, on which I also serve, is the growing influence of China throughout Africa. That's come up in this committee as well. But um, the I didn't bring it with me, but our Department of Defense has done a a map that shows where the Chinese influence is in Africa, and it is really dramatic when you see it on the map. Can you talk about opportunities that you think um, you can encourage as ambassador to address concerns around Chinese influence and how we can better compete in South Africa?
5: Thank you, Senator. We could spend an entire hearing on that issue alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Briefly, since there are 24 seconds left on the clock, let me just say a couple of things. First of all, uh, there is, uh, The Economist just published a new special report on China and Africa just yesterday the day before. It is highly informative, and I I commend it widely. Secondly, with regard to China and Africa, as it particularly relates to our concerns, we have to show up consistently. Uh, we have to have ambassadors in the field that can continue to engage at very high levels. We have to continue to engage our private sector, encourage our private sector to engage and be present. Uh, I believe that, quite frankly, all of the fundamentals for our engagement in Africa favor the United States versus China, our long-standing relationships with the continent, the power of our, our popular culture, the the, the nature of, uh, of African diaspora here in the United States. But if we, the Chinese, have understood that Africa is not simply a place for charity or security. It is a place for business. And private sector engagement will drive the future of that continent. and it will have geopolitical implications. And so the key to our changing the narrative for the United States is to dramatically increase the ways in which American private sector engage in the continent. I would be happy to be, appear at another hearing, if confirmed, to engage on that issue.
10: Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that answer. And um, Mr. Chairman and Senator Rounds, as the chair and ranking member, I hope, I I also appreciate Ambassador Brigitte's raising the importance of having our ambassadors on the ground in countries. I know it's something you both support, and I'm sorry that the rest of this committee isn't here to hear that response, because we have got to see that our ambassadors get confirmed and that they are on the ground to address these urgent challenges. Thank you all very much. Uh,
0: thank you all for your testimony today. Um, well said, Senator Shaheen. Uh We are um, hopeful that we will be able to move you to swift confirmation um, because it is important to have you there on the ground at this critical moment in all three countries. For any members that wish to submit questions for the record to this panel, it will be open. The record will be open until the close of business tomorrow. And with that, we'll close out this panel and ask uh, staff to help facilitate the second panel joining us. Thank you all for your testimony and appearance today.
7: Thank you very much. Thank you.
10: Good Can you it on the table, right? OK. We're going to get you guys out, get our next group in. OK. you. first one. <laughs> Did you Good.
7: want your name? Please follow me uh, <laughs>
6: You want
5: to take a look I already have my
7: name. Let me
6: take that water so that nobody makes a mistake of, uh, Yeah, you got
7: yours. Okay. Water. Yeah, thanks very much. Okay, Mr. You're right on the end You're over
10: there, please. Sir. Okay, Mr. Godfrey right here. Godfrey family right here.
9: Hey Meg. Hello, how are you?
7: Thank you. It's mm-hmm. so good to see you. Mm-hmm. It's like our ambassador class here. <laughs> I know. And we'll see you soon. Oh, hi. All right. It's hi, we haven't met. Nice.
5: nice to meet you. <laughs> oh, these
11: are elevated chairs. Okay. Can you show us the...
10: That. Test, test, like
8: this.
12: Test,
0: test. Oh. All right, welcome back, everyone, to game two of our nominations double header today. We are pleased to welcome the second panel uh, of nominees to the committee. Uh, The committee is now going to consider uh, three additional nominations, all of which who are career members of the Senior Foreign Service. Mr. John Godfrey to be ambassador to Sudan, Mr. Michael Adler to be ambassador to South Sudan, and Mr. Michael Gonzalez to be ambassador to Zambia. I want to welcome our nominees here, and if you have family members uh, or friends, to welcome them as well. We thank you all for your continued willingness to serve the United States of America. Each of you are going to be entering these posts at a really extraordinary time in our bilateral relationships with uh, each country. Mr. Godfrey, I'll start with you. If you're confirmed to be the first U.S. ambassador to Sudan since 1997, you will arrive in Khartoum just months after a military coup seized power from a civilian transitional government. Restoring our diplomatic presence in Sudan, it presents a opportunity for America to be a force for good, to push for a restoration of civilian-led government that the Sudanese people have demanded and still demand to this day. As the country's political crisis exacerbates the humanitarian crisis, we will also need to work to lead the international community's efforts to raise funds that are needed to meet this moment to help almost one-third of all citizens there who depend on humanitarian aid to get the support they need to survive. Mr. Adler, uh, the United States supported South Sudan's independence from Sudan in 2011, following almost four decades of conflict. Sadly, a horrific civil war consumed the country since 2013, resulting in Africa's largest refugee crisis and widespread atrocities. If confirmed, you will have the important task ahead of you to ensure that the peace accord signed in 2018 is fully implemented to restore stability in the country. And just like its neighbor to the north, South Sudan's humanitarian crisis requires us to similarly rise to the occasion and lead a global humanitarian response that staves off hunger for nearly 8 million people at risk today. And Mr. Gonzalez, Zambia is a country in transition. The election and peaceful accession of President uh, Hakende Hachalema represents a notable bright spot in Africa and is an opportunity we cannot miss when there are so few and far opportunities on the continent. New president has pledged to promote good governance and economic growth, foster fiscal and debt, sustainability, and combat poverty, all ambitious and important goals. And I look forward to hearing more about how you think the United States can best support this progress to keep Zambia on a democratic path. Uh, We have um, votes uh, again, or we have one more vote, so you'll see members in and out. But with that, let me turn to the ranking member, Senator Rounds for his remarks.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Good afternoon to all of you. Much of your professional lives and those of your families have been spent far away from home. You and your families have made great sacrifices in the service to your country. Constant moves and separations, new schools, missed birthdays, weddings and funerals, often danger. Every career diplomat wonders whether someday, after years of service, they might be nominated by the President of the United States to serve as an ambassador somewhere. Well, congratulations are in order today. None of you have to ask yourselves that question any longer. Mr. Gonzalez, in August of 2021, Zambia had a landmark election that has been hailed as a victory for democracy in a region where democracy faces significant challenges. But as we all know, the development of strong and stable democracies goes beyond elections. The United States played an important role alongside important regional and international actors to support Zambia during the electoral period, and we must continue to support the development of strong democratic institutions in Zambia in the months and years ahead. Zambia has gone without a confirmed U.S. ambassador since 2020. I'm glad that we were able to hear from a nominee today with extensive background living and working in Africa, specifically in southern Africa. Mr. Godfrey, the revolution that started in Sudan in December of 2018, in which led to the 2019 ouster of dictator Omar al-Bashir and the installation of a transitional government led by civilian prime minister uh, Hamdok, ushered in a new era of US policy towards Sudan. In December 2019, Secretary of State Pompeo announced that the United States would exchange ambassadors with Sudan for the first time in 23 years. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee was vocal in calling for the quick nomination of an experienced U.S. ambassador to Sudan. Over two years later, I'm pleased that we finally have a nominee. Unfortunately, the events of October 25th and Sudan's continued leadership by Generals uh, Burhan and uh, Hamedi has led to violence and an economic crisis for Sudan. While severely threatening the positive, if fragile, momentum previously achieved. While this will be your first ambassadorial post and your first posting in the region, I'm glad that you have prior experience working on Sudan issues. Uh, Your coverage of Darfur issues and your long running work on global counterterrorism issues will serve you well if confirmed. Mr. Adler, The United States was a critical player in the efforts to end the decades-long civil war between the Sudanese government in Khartoum and southern Sudan, and in processes that led to South Sudan's independence in 2011. Since then, South Sudan has suffered significant setbacks, namely its own civil war and humanitarian crisis stemming from conflict, natural disasters, and lack of development. The United States contributes over $1 billion per year in support to South Sudan, primarily through humanitarian aid and support, to the UN keep, or, or peacekeeping missions. I've been particularly concerned about the efforts by South Sudan's leaders to advocate for the end of the UN arms embargo on South Sudan, uh, which is why I sponsored s 473, expressing the sense of the Senate on the necessity of, man- of maintaining the UN arms embargo on South Sudan until conditions for peace, stability, democracy, and development exist. The resolution passed the Senate unanimously earlier this month. Given the U.S.'s long history with the country and the myriad complex challenges to peace, security, democracy, and the development of the country that the country faces, our embassy will need an experienced hand after two years of the post being vacant. If confirmed, you bring a wealth of experience to the position. You will have your work cut out for you. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you for your service to our country. I look forward to your comments. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Uh, Thank you, Senator Rounds. Uh, Let me briefly introduce our nominees. First, we have Mr. John Godfrey to be the Ambassador to the Republic of Sudan. Mr. Godfrey is currently Acting Coordinator and Acting Special Envoy to the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS. Next is Mr. Michael Adler to be Ambassador to South Sudan. He has over three decades of experience with the State Department. He's currently Senior Advisor in the Bureau of African Affairs, and most recently he served as the Deputy Senior Director for South Asia, and before that, the Director for Afghanistan on the National Security Council staff. And finally, we have Mr. Michael Gonzalez to be Ambassador to the Republic of Zambia. He currently serves as a Deputy Assistant Secretary of State in the Bureau of African Affairs and has previously held leadership positions Um, as Deputy Chief of Mission of the United States Embassy in Nepal and Malawi. So we will sort of run from my right to left. Uh, We welcome all your opening comments. Ask that you keep them to around three minutes, and we will submit and incorporate the full statement for the record.
12: Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, Distinguished Members of the Committee, I am honored to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to Zambia. If confirmed, I commit to work with Congress and your staffs to advance U.S. interests there. Just over 100 years ago, my great-grandparents, fishermen from Spain and Sicily, came to America in search of a better life. Today, I, the son of a piano tuner and a bartender from Seaside, California, sit before you as the nominee to be a U.S. ambassador. That, senators, is the American dream. I want to salute my parents, Andy and Ginny Gonzalez, for their constant support to me. My career long pursuit of bridging America with Africa has provided a breathtaking life of opportunities for my family as we advanced American interests overseas. And I'm grateful to be accompanied on this journey by the great love of my life, a gifted diplomat in and of herself, my wife, Carol Jenkins. Carol joins me here today with two other people who make my heart full and make my world go round, our kids. Robin is passionate, creative, and wise beyond their years. I am so proud of their advocacy for decency, for equity, and justice. And Haley is a dynamic, fun, and deeply caring young lady who shows me the brightness in every day. In August, as you noted, Senator, a record number of Zambian voters bravely stepped forward to denounce corruption and to demand change. Thanks to their bravery, Zambia today stands at a turning point. And if confirmed, I commit to lead U.S. government efforts to support the Zambian people To seize this historic opportunity to strengthen resilient institutions that deliver accountable and responsive democratic governance. I will also leverage Zambian partners and the American business uh, community to support reforms that improve the business enabling environments to unleash Zambia's economic potential to our mutual benefit. The United States and Zambia have enjoyed decades of close partnerships. So far, nearly 2,500 Peace Corps volunteers have made lasting impacts and touched nearly every corner of the country. The Millennium Challenge Corporation's first compact ensured that healthy families could contribute fully to their nation's success, and a second compact soon will help further unleash Zambia's potential. For decades, U.S. health sector assistance and the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, have saved millions of Zambian lives, bringing the country to the brink of HIV-AIDS epidemic control. USAID is rightly celebrated across the country for delivering support from the American people to support the resilience of Zambia's democracy, for improving livelihoods and providing the foundational skills for Zambians to create and to seize opportunities to realize their dreams. Senator, the Zambian people have spoken, and like us, they too demand a more perfect union. They too dare to envision the Zambian dream, and if confirmed— I would be honored to shepherd American support for its realization to our mutual benefit. Thank you, Senator. I'd be honored to take any questions.
0: Mr. Godfrey.
11: Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today as the president's nominee to be the first U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Sudan in 25 years, as Chairman Murphy noted, and thank you for your strong support for a democratic Sudan. I'm grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the confidence they have placed in me, and if confirmed, I look forward to working closely with this committee to advance America's interests in Sudan. I'm grateful to share this day with family for whom public service has been important. My father's career as an Air Force officer took my family overseas for much of my childhood, instilling appreciation for service to country and an abiding curiosity about the wider world. I want to thank my wonderful wife, Jennifer Hall Godfrey, a senior foreign service officer, for her love, partnership, and support during a rewarding but challenging pair of careers in which we have largely served at hardship and danger posts. I also want to commend our two sterling sons, Nathaniel and Jack, for their intrepid spirit and resilience, acknowledging that if I am confirmed, our family will serve apart part on two continents as so many foreign service families do. I am no stranger to Sudan. In pre-revolution Libya, I worked on humanitarian and political issues related to Darfur, In the Counterterrorism Bureau, I was closely involved in rescinding Sudan's designation as a state sponsor of terrorism. Sudan is at a moment of great peril. The military takeover on October 25th and lack of an agreement establishing the framework for a civilian-led transition worsened the country's political, economic, and security crises. The devastating human toll of recent violence in Darfur is just one example of the dangers of the current political paralysis. Realizing the promise of Sudan's democratic revolution is important for the Sudanese people— who have consistently and courageously demanded a more human rights-respecting, accountable, and effective government. It is important for stability in the strategically important Red Sea region, and it is important as a potential exemplar of the benefits that democracy brings. The immediate imperative is assisting Sudanese stakeholders in establishing a sustainable civilian-led transition. The current process facilitated by the UN, the African Union, and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development affords the best foreseeable opportunity To establish the framework for an inclusive, civilian-led transition, redefine the security services role, and to advance elections, economic reforms, human rights, justice and accountability, and enduring peace, including in historically marginalized areas. If confirmed, I will work with Sudanese and other partners in support of these goals. Doing so is urgently important in light of Sudan's economic and humanitarian crises, which the military takeover has exacerbated. If confirmed, I will work with Sudanese and international partners to ensure that humanitarian needs are met and emphasize that resuming paused development assistance is predicated on a credible civilian-led democratic transition. If confirmed, I look forward to leading our embassy in Khartoum, which would be a high honor. My highest priority will be ensuring the safety and security of our American and locally employed staff and of Americans who live and work in Sudan. Thank you again for the opportunity to appear here today, and I look forward to your questions.
13: Thank you. Mr. Chairman, ranking member and distinguished members of the committee, I am honored to appear before you today as the president's nominee to be the United States ambassador to the Republic of South Sudan. I would like to thank President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken for the confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, I look forward to the honor of working with this committee. I would also like to acknowledge the support of family, friends, and mentors throughout my career. Words could not adequately express my debt of gratitude to them or the sense of honor I feel at having been able to represent the United States abroad as a Foreign Service Officer. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and Distinguished Members of the Committee, in its short history, South Sudan has faced and continues to face monumental challenges including protracted violence, extreme poverty, and famine conditions. Overlaying these challenges are the intricate cultural nuances of competition for dominance over local governance and control of scarce resources. South Sudan is a complex foreign policy challenge that is at risk of further destabilizing a region already grappling with violent conflict. While the 2018 revitalized peace agreement contains many key pieces needed to advance political and economic transformation in South Sudan, it does not go far enough. We agree with the people of South Sudan who are calling for radical change to meet their long-deferred dream of becoming a thriving democracy. The transitional government has simply failed to undertake essential democratic and economic reforms. This inaction lets down the South Sudanese people, South Sudan's neighbors, who are guarantors of the peace agreement, and the broader international community, including the United States. President Salva Kiir himself recently publicly committed to free, fair, and credible democratic elections, and we should hold him to that promise. I assure you that if confirmed, I am committed to focusing on the safety and security of American citizens abroad, as well as on the welfare of the American and local staff members of Embassy Juba. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee for this opportunity. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and my colleagues across the U.S. government. I welcome any questions you may have.
0: Thank you all for your testimony, and again, for your willingness to serve. Um, Mr. Godfrey, let me uh, start with you and draw on your experience um, in the region and also in the Middle East. Um, Many in Sudan believe that a host of regional actors, um, Egypt, UAE, Saudi Arabia, perhaps even Israel, are providing support to the junta and undermining efforts to return to civilian-led governance. Um, The former Sudanese foreign minister somewhat infamously asserted that uh, both Egypt and Israel supported the coup, reportedly actually made a trip to Cairo, maybe one night before it commenced. Um, More recently, some of the Gulf states have joined quad statements in you know, calling for a restoration of civilian government. But the reality on the ground is that there is a real belief that there are outside influences preventing a transition back to democracy. So I'd uh, be interested in your assessment in the importance of these uh, outside regional entities' efforts and how you're going to engage with regional actors to make sure they're in sync with Uh, efforts to support democracy and civilian rule.
11: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, for that thoughtful question. One of the hard aspects, I think, of Sudan's uh, very difficult history is that for uh, the entirety of its modern era, it has been a theater in which there have been proxy actors uh, looking to advance their own interests, often at the expense of the interests of Sudan and the Sudanese people. You mentioned specifically the Gulf countries uh, as well as Egypt, um, I would add Israel to that as well. Um, those countries have long-standing interests in Sudan and it's important that we closely coordinate with them to ensure that their efforts and ours align to the extent that that's possible. If confirmed, I would work with those uh, actors and with international partners to underscore that Sudan's long-term stability can only come through an inclusive political process that results in a civilian-led transition to democracy. And I think that's vitally important because there is a tendency on the part of some of the actors you mentioned to view more expedient uh, outcomes, possibly that would result in either a military-led government or another uh, deal between elites as a preferable path that would lead to short-term stability. Unfortunately, that doesn't comport with the wishes of the Sudanese people, and I think there's real downside peril there. However, there's also opportunity to leverage those actors' involvement and their interests, Uh, and some of them, I think, are are equally concerned about some of the things we are in Sudan, including efforts by Russia to try to establish a naval base on the Red Sea coast. And working together with colleagues in the Near Eastern Affairs Bureau and the Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, I think we would need to continue to coordinate closely with those partners to ensure that they are on board with the current effort that the UNITAM's AU-IGAD facilitated process is trying to achieve? Um,
0: As just a quick editorial uh, comment. Egypt's role here has probably um, been amongst the most significant. I think we have a badly outdated outdated conception of the, the ways in which Egypt acts in the region. We think that by sending them... Uh, millions of dollars of military aid, that it will convince them to act in U.S. interests. I think Egypt has shown us over and over again that they're willing to act in concert with us when it is also in their security interest, but they are very clearly willing to diverge um, from uh, our interests, Sudan being at the top of that list uh, when they see um, a domestic benefit. Um, just one more question to you, Mr. Adler, and then I'll turn it over to colleagues. Um, I wanted to maybe draw on your broader experience Because in South Sudan, and you mentioned this in your opening remarks, it's really one of the world's most dangerous countries for aid workers and for diplomats. You've had 130 humanitarian workers that have been killed since 2013. And we're having a conversation on this committee um, about how to protect and incentivize diplomats in very dangerous places to be able to get out of embassy compounds, to be able to um, be in the communities that they represent and um, while that may be very difficult right now uh, in South Sudan we are I think um, far too disincentivized right now in the diplomatic core to get outside of the embassy to get into communities um, and I wonder um, if you can provide a little bit of extra uh, context for um, how we allow humanitarian workers in South Sudan to do the work that they need to do but also, you know, how we change the incentive structure for the State Department to, when it's appropriate, be able to push forward diplomats so that the face of America is not just troops in um, places that are fragile, but diplomats as well.
13: Thank you for the question, Mr. Chairman. I strongly agree with your views. I think the best way forward is, if confirmed, for me to take a hard look at appropriate risk management to ensure that we're getting out in safe ways, but that we are getting out. Our policy success in South Sudan, based on my experience in other countries, will rely heavily on our understanding of the dynamics driving society. And that requires a continuous effort to expand our outreach to political actors, but also to civil society. I think it's deplorable that 130 assistance workers have been killed in South Sudan since independence. So along with my efforts to ensure appropriate risk management for my team, I would engage vigorously and strongly with the South Sudanese leadership and with other partners to ensure that assistance workers have adequate protections and that we are there to support them, most particularly our implementing partners. In terms of the incentive structure, Mr. Chairman, that... That's a a longer conversation about department management issues, but I would say in the context of South Sudan, I commit myself to ensuring that within the embassy, I will be completely dedicated to the morale, the productivity, and clear two-way communication with every member of my team, of all agencies, and that I commit myself to fostering the professional development and the onward assignments for those who serve on my team in this very difficult environment. Thank you.
0: Appreciate it. I just note that Senator Risch and I have a pretty encouraging bipartisan bill to try to change that incentive structure surrounding the accountability review board. I'll put it before all three of you for comment once you're confirmed. Uh, Senator
4: Browns. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Gonzalez, under President Lungu, Zambia accrued significant Chinese debt that has crippling ramifications for the Zambian economy. As U.S. ambassador to Zambia, how will you support Zambia in its efforts to restructure its external debts and to find alternative sources of support to relieve pressure on its economy due to its unsustainable debt burden? Also, how will you work with your Zambian counterparts to make sure that efforts to deleverage from the Chinese are not reversed?
12: Thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, I think uh, step one needs to be a robust and good faith uh, process of renegotiating the current debt burden. That means bringing China to the table and no longer allowing China to continue to drag its feet and delay the processes. China presents itself as a all-weather friend of, of African countries and while well, the storm is up upon Zambia and now is the time for the all-weather friend to also stand forward like the rest of us in the community of nations have done and participate in a renegotiation process. The IMF plays an instrumental role in the longer-term support of the, bringing the Zambian economy back to the stable trajectory that it needs to be on. And if confirmed, I would work with like-minded uh, partners across the international community and with the IMF itself Uh, to ensure that Zambia is able to uh, realize the extended credit facility that it is negotiating. The longer-term solution, however, to Zambia's growth and Zambia's prosperity doesn't lie in governments and, uh, and development partners. It lies in the private sector unleashing the potential of the Zambian people. And so if confirmed, a high priority of mine as U.S. ambassador to Zambia would be to work with the American private sector and Zambians to reform the business-enabling environment so businesses can come in, uh, create jobs, pay taxes, contribute to the common good uh, in an equitable way so that regions are not left, over, uh, left behind, so that women are not left behind, but so that the country can prosper. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.
4: Mr. Godfrey? The U.S. Department of State, the U.S. Department of the Treasury, the U.S. Department of Commerce, and the U.S. Department of Labor issued a Sudan business advisory yesterday highlighting the growing risks to American businesses stemming from the Sudanese military's failure to cede power to a civilian led government. Can you outline why the military junta is bad for business in Sudan?
11: Thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, I think that the track record since the October 25 military takeover uh, amply demonstrates that the military government is not good for business, either for U.S. business interests, but more broadly for any other external partners, nor is it good for the, the economy and the Sudanese people. And that's so for for a few reasons. Uh, the civilian-led transitional government, is, as you know, sir, made significant progress in undertaking economic reforms that were poised to realize significant debt relief to the tune of $23 billion, World Bank IDA investments to the tune of $2 billion for 2019 funds alone, as well as significant lines (coughs) of credit from the IMF. All of those monies were conditions-based. All of them were paused in the wake of the October 25th military takeover. And since then, what we've seen is hyperinflation, fiscal crisis and the inability of the government to meet its, uh, its bills, um, as well as rising uh, uh, food prices that have been exacerbated by Russia's brutal and unprovoked invasion of, of Ukraine. I saw one estimate just the other day that Sudan is the third most impacted country on the face of the planet in terms of the, uh, the disruptions to wheat and grain due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The military government is clearly not capable of navigating those issues. I think that the coordinated pause on international debt relief and credit has really created a problem for them in terms of the ability to access resources. And that is one of the most significant points of leverage that we have in urging them to facilitate the restoration of a civilian led transitional government.
4: Thank you, sir. Mr. Adler? You feel that the United States demonstrates an adequate level of diplomatic engagement to resolve the many crises in South Sudan relative to the over $1 billion per year we provide to South Sudan. Seems to me that diplomatic action or interaction would be uh, effective and needed as well.
13: I firmly agree that vigorous diplomatic action is necessary and if confirmed as a confirmed chief of mission i would make my top priority engaging with the leadership of the south sudanese government to ensure that they understand that with a billion dollars of u.s assistance per year we have expectations and expectations that they act with urgency to move forward with implementation of their commitments to give the south sudanese people the future the south sudanese people have made clear they seek one of democracy, one of security, and one of prosperity.
4: Thank you, sir. My time has expired on behalf of uh, Chairman Murphy, Senator Coons.
9: Um, thank you, Senator Rounds, uh, Senator Murphy. and Thank you all uh, for your long service to our country, for your willingness to continue uh, to serve in parts of the world that can be challenging at times to your families uh, for supporting you. Um, all three of the countries to which you are nominated uh, are countries where um, stability, transition to democracy, or the sustainment of a democracy, um, is a is a key part of the work uh, you'll be uh, undertaking, Mr. Gonzalez, if you might. Uh, I think many of us were encouraged to see uh, what happened—the election of President Hichilema, um, particularly given the um, huge amount of attention that was paid to his unjust detention and uh, the number of national leaders who went and visited, and the importance of his his release. Uh, what do you think are our key goals in terms of? both long-term development and helping sustain um, a robust civil society, um, building a, a more a strong foundation for an enduring democracy in Zambia? Um, and what do you think are the most important tools for the United States to push back on Chinese influence in Zambia and to help the Zambians choose their own path?
12: Thanks, Senator. It's great to see you again. I think the last time was in Kathmandu when we sang the praises of Ben Fry. <laughs> um, I, I think the answer lies in, in in systems, and as Ambassador Battle in the panel before me talked about codifying, uh, we have a great opportunity in, in Zambia right now because of the, the, the way that the Zambian people have spoke, uh, but we shouldn't rest uh, our solutions on one individual or one moment in a time or ad hocism. And I think this is where uh, the United States can play an important and critical role, frankly, in helping build and inform systems uh, for the Zambian people to make Zambian uh, for their own version of democracy. I think at the heart of it is addressing uh, the endemic corruption that has wrought and devastated the country for far too long. And this is where U.S. assistance on public financial management best practices, whether it's from the U.S. Agency for International Development or Office of Technical Assistance over at Treasury, the many tools that we have. I think U.S. Trade and Development Agency's uh, Procurement Transparency Initiative is a great opportunity. And I know that you are a driving force behind the BUILD Act. And I think here the uh, Development Finance Corporation can also be really vital in providing international best practices uh, to improve the, the transparency uh, and the enabling environment for the economy and for the management of that economy by government institutions. What can we do? Uh, the, there are many many things that we can do and I, if confirmed I look forward to partnering with uh, members of uh, Congress and your staffs to explore those further.
9: Thank you. Uh, and I'll give Ben Fry your best. Um, Mr. Godfrey, if confirmed you'll be the first ambassador to Sudan in a long long time, I think since 97. Uh, And um, Ali Davis on my staff and I and a number of other colleagues worked very hard on uh, trying to support uh, the um, aspirations of the Sudanese people um, to create an environment in which uh, there could be a successful transition to civilian rule. And unfortunately, uh, a military junta now is back in control. Um, Some have criticized the United States as having sort of missed an opportunity um, to effectively press the junta. Um, to step back. Um, General Burhan and I have spoken directly about uh, my concerns about the status of um, the situation in Sudan. Um, just a week uh, after the Burmese uh, coup, we had imposed sanctions, but sanctions have not yet been imposed. Although there is legislation to that effect, I would argue the administration has the power to do so. Um, how would you respond to those who say that um, we're not doing enough with the tools that we have, uh, both the pause and assistance and the potential for sanctions?
11: Thank you, Senator. Uh, Just to state clearly at the outset, if confirmed, I would certainly seek to use all appropriate tools to establish a framework for Sudan's civilian-led democratic transition. Sanctions are an important tool uh, to name and shame, but also to drive changes in behavior. And I've got a little bit of experience in this from my time in the Counterterrorism Bureau. I think prior to making any recommendation on potential sanctions, I'd want to understand the the likely impact on military leaders' behavior, the practical impact on their finances and access to financing, the impact on the Sudanese economy, and how it would relate to our overall diplomatic strategy, including the current UNITAMS AU IGAD facilitated process. I think those judgments about the interplay of uh, political dynamics on the ground, on the one hand, and the likely impact of sanctions require a, a fingertip feel that is frankly quite hard as a nominee sitting six time zones away uh to have however i do think that as the business advisory that was released just yesterday and as the concurrent resolution that was adopted a bit earlier this month by the congress uh showed there is a unified view across branches of u.s government that we need to be applying pressure uh and sustaining pressure on the military government to facilitate things that that lead to the restoration of a civilian-led transitional government. And if I'm confirmed, I would certainly work with partners to sustain that pressure. I think what we've done in coordinating the pauses in debt relief, credit, and some development assistance are really important in that regard and need to be sustained. Uh, I also think that the sanctioning of the Central Reserve Police and looking at potential other uh, actions uh, is something that we need to to stay focused on as well as we move forward
9: here. Well, thank you. I certainly agree that, uh, look, let me speak more broadly after four years of sustained and persistent effort by hundreds of thousands of the Sudanese people, they have earned the chance um, to find their way forward in a democratic transition. Um, And uh, I hope that we're doing everything we can to support that. Uh, And I would certainly welcome, once you're confirmed, once you're uh, at station, to to get input from you about what you think we can best do to support the Sudanese people. Um, I had the chance to go to Khartoum and to meet with all of the then leaders, Prime Minister Hamdok and General Burhan and a number of the members of the cabinet and civil society leaders, and was very optimistic at that point. And I'm really concerned about the trajectory the country's on. If I might impose on the chairman for a moment, um, just uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Mr. Adler, um, my uh, one visit to Juba uh, to meet with, uh, Selvac- with President Selvacir, uh was depressing and challenging. Uh, I went up to uh, visit uh, refugees uh, who were uh, hemmed in by um, forces and suffering significantly on the verge of starvation. Uh, and then I went and confronted him having just been to a refugee camp in western Uganda where hundreds of thousands of South Sudanese had fled. This was a number of years ago. Um, the the years of um, standoff between um, the two parties and their leaders um, is is deeply disconcerting. Um, I am encouraged by recent statements uh, by President Keir about allowing for free and fair elections in uh, February of 2023, but it doesn't seem to me that the conditions are being set on the ground for those elections to actually be successful. Uh, I'd be interested in what you think about the potential of the Pope's upcoming visit um, and what you think are the tools that we might uh, deploy in trying to support a transition uh, to uh, a freely and fairly elected government that might actually represent the best interests of the people.
13: Senator. And I share the sentiment that you express based on what I've read and what I've learned from colleagues. I know that a key part of our approach is to work with international partners to ensure that a common message is conveyed to the South Sudanese leadership about what international community expectations are, and frankly, what the South Sudanese people's expectations are. As a nominee, I'm not fully involved in the discussions of what we're asking of our partners. But what I would say is it seems to me imperative that South Sudanese leadership hears from everybody, neighbors, international players, all parties, that they must accelerate progress. With respect to the democratic election, yes, we, we do believe that South Sudan must have a free, fair, and credible election. But how does that happen? Key predicate actions need to be taken. They're spelt out in the revised peace agreement. They have not been taken. So if I'm confirmed, I will prioritize from day one, pushing for those predicate actions to be put in place so the South Sudanese people can have the democratic election they deserve to have.
9: It's a country of such remarkable riches and potential and um, such wonderful people, um, many of whom we've had a chance to meet here in the United States. But um, after decades of tragedy, I think they really deserve a a great uh, next chapter in their history. And I hope all three of you are confirmed. And I look forward to supporting you in your service in um, some challenging places in the world. Thank you for your forbearance, Mr. Chairman.
4: Thank you. And on behalf of Chairman Murphy, um, Senator Kane.
8: Thank you, uh, Senator Rounds. Uh, an appreciation and an observation. So the appreciation side, and I'll just echo comments of my colleague, Senator Coons, uh, you've all had three really distinguished careers, um, and you've all served in dangerous places, um, and you've all served in places where it's meant some sacrifice, including time separated from your families. I remember one of my first visits as a senator to Codel uh, was to Egypt and one of the FSOs I was visiting with had to cut short a meeting at five o'clock on a Friday because I have to get home and dress up for my Skype date and I said well what, what's that and she said well my husband is a foreign service officer too and he's in Turkey and we do a Skype we dress up into a Skype date every Friday and I said wow that's that's pretty tough and she said Egypt to Turkey is a lot closer together than we often have been during our career. So I just want to say to the family members, the young people, spouses, friends, and family who are watching, um, your service, your sacrifice, and your willingness to do more to put a good face on a nation. Uh, You exemplify a nation, and when people, many people, their, their interaction with America will be their interaction with you and the people who work with you in your mission. And I just wanted to express my appreciation to all of you for that. And then an observation. Senator Coons was in an exchange with Mr. Godfrey about sanctions, and this is something that I hope as a committee we might do sometime, is to really analyze our sanctions policy big picture. We are often talking about sanctions in Venezuela or sanctions in Russia and sanctions in Iran, and I think sanctions policy and, and the power of U.S. leading sanctions, particularly if they're multilateral, have often accomplished good things. But then I also believe sometimes they they have a perverse effect. They give a, a dictator who's mismanaging a country the ability to say, see, we would be doing great if it weren't for the big, bad United States imposing sanctions on us. And so some assessment, and I know some work on this has been done at Stanford, but some assessment of US sanctions policy and when has it worked really well and when is it maybe not... Produce the result that we wanted? And what are, what are elements of sanctions policy that might maximize their effect? I'll, I'll give you an example. I think sanctions bills should almost always have, and here's how the sanctions will be lifted. Do the following five salutary things that you should want to do if you care about your people, and the sanctions will go away. I think many on the receiving end of sanctions sort of believe that it's one and done, and as soon as we put them on, They'll be laboring under them forever. So, what's their incentive really to change behavior if they don't think that uh, good behavior would would provide an off ramp? So, I, I'm just the, the, we're we're dealing with so many different sanctions issues at any one time, and and I can certainly see in my 10 years here the salutary effects of some of the sanctions work we've done. Really important. I think we're seeing it in real time. The the sanctions policy in against Russia and Ukraine combined with other things is certainly shrunk Russia's war aims and had a a very very damaging effect upon them But um, but it might be time to to look big picture about could we do even better and in particular? I'm kind of intrigued by the notion of putting a clear off-ramp in sanctions so that we can then market to the citizens of these countries look we don't want to hurt you at all All we want to do is produce this good behavior, and as soon as the government does exactly the kinds of things that they should do that are in your interest, then the sanctions will go away. We might be able to more effectively impose, market, communicate why we're doing the sanctions, but also more likely um, incentivize the kind of behavior that we're looking to hopefully incentivize by those. So I would just maybe say to my colleagues, maybe this is an issue that we ought to spend some more time on, and I would look forward to doing that. Thank you to all of you, and congratulations on your nominations.
4: Well, that concludes our committee work this afternoon. On behalf of uh, uh, Chairman Murphy, I would note that uh, all questions for the record for our uh, nominees are due at close of business tomorrow, Wednesday, the 25th. And uh, unless there is further business to come before the committee, this committee Uh, the subcommittee meeting is adjourned.